Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, welcome to the DLC Drop Podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome my very good friend, Joseph Alexander, Dallas native, CEO and founder of the Uptown Agency with a background in finance and venture capital. That sounds better every time you say it. Well, I've been been practicing in the mirror at home, so I'm glad it came through. You don't want to see the takes at home. I'm like, ah, you know. Oh, yeah. What's funny, man, is my first job was cleaning bathrooms at CVS. And so the fact that sounds pretty good is nice because at that time, I'm not sure (laughs) that I ever imagined any of that happening. CEO and founder was not yet on the the radar. It was, Uh, why do I have to? Can I keep doing this today? Oh, How yeah. do I get through today? Yeah. Yeah. I wish Charney Robbins were here. He could he, he could break down the whole thing for me. I think so. <laughs> or so maybe you... you could. You're pretty close. Ah, well, <laughs> working on it. We'll see. Well, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. Thanks that's for good. being here. So yeah. you are my second in-studio guest. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm and like... you were supposed to be my first, but you know, you're a busy man. Oh. You've got some client meetings. You've got a lot going on over there. Yeah. You got a legit setup here. You got a whole team, a whole crew. These guys, they know what they're doing. Hey, man, it's a dream come true. So it's a cool thing to be a part of. And these guys, they're the stars behind the show. And they enable me to sit here and talk all day. So it's a pretty fun gig. You're not shooting exactly shooting in the basement, huh? So that's cool. Not anymore. It's all about, (laughs) I know one thing we're going to talk about is like where we came from, right? What were those first jobs? And it's crazy. to I definitely wouldn't have a, a direct line from where I started to where I am today. Yeah. And I also... I personally believe I'm at the beginning of my journey. So I'm excited to see where it goes, but I don't know where it's going to go. Sure. But let's start with how you and I met. Yeah. And I'll tell my version. Okay. And then I want to hear your version. (laughs) (laughs) They might be different. (laughs) They might be different. (laughs) Okay. So to give some people background, when my LinkedIn was blowing up when I was at GameStop, because they gave me a fancy title, everybody thought I had a lot of money to spend. So I was was building the network, leveraging the opportunity. And I got a message from this up and comer, bright young man, as it appeared, CEO and founder of the Uptown Agency with a background in finance and venture capital. (laughs) Sounds like somebody I'd like to be connected to. (laughs) And you got connected. Oh, we got connected. So over burgers. We did. Yeah. Feast Burger and Grapevine? And Grapevine. Oh, that place is so good. Yeah. So it's like straight grease, but so delicious. There's a time and a place for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Joseph hit me up. I was like, yeah, you know, guy sounds like somehow worth a shot. Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. Peace Burger rolled up. Great conversation. Best conversation, actually. Just well, it was funny checked t- off, right? It's funny, too, because when you're on like LinkedIn and you're just, you're meeting people, you're connecting, you never expect to leave one of those lunch meetings and be like, I think I just made a friend. Like, it's not just, oh, we could help each other in business, but I really like that guy and I really hope he likes me. (laughs) (laughs) That was my thought too. Yeah. And then I remember, so shortly after we we stay connected, we're texting everything. I saw on LinkedIn that you posted something about, I'm starting a podcast. Mm -hmm. And before I was able to hit you up and say, you should have me on your podcast. You said, John, you should be on my podcast. Yep. That's exactly how it happened. Yeah. And then for the listeners at home, we then, we did our podcast, our first one, and it was, you were interviewing me. 
And it was my background from skateboarding into gaming and esports and GameStop and all that stuff. And we had such a flow and it was just such a great conversation. We were like, dude, we should co-host a podcast together. Yeah. And what was that podcast going to be called? It was going to be called J squared. Yes. And we were like, our logo is going to be a big J and a little J to like the, to the power this, of a J. Right. And, and I was the little be, J. <laughs> yeah. We should have slipped or flipped it around though. So it'd be funny. Cause like, and I guess in like the mob, you got like tiny Tim. Yep. And it's like the giant guy. Oh, I see what you're, I you know what, what I mean? Going. You could have been tiny Tim of, or no, I would have been tiny Tim. You would have been tiny yeah, J. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah. He's in marketing, ladies and gentlemen. That's He's right. In marketing. That's right. And so because Joseph had access to these resources because of his agency and making his employee work on a Saturday to film us. Um, You're working extra hours. That's right. No bonus. No, I'm joking. And we, we, <laughs> yeah, we had some great interviews. Yeah. We had Krimkowski. We had. Yeah, we did. Which I, I did a podcast with him. I was a guest maybe a couple months ago. That's awesome. And he was like, oh yeah, is that coming out? I was like. Uh, yeah, I think that's, it's just funny. One of, one of the things that I appreciate about coming here with you is you've got this full team here. Yeah. And for me, we were still rapidly growing at the time. And so it's like pulling resources away from projects. Next thing I know, we're recording some great podcasts, and, but projects, client projects, client work took on our time and then they never got published. I still have all the raw footage from the Chris Gronkowski interview yep. and all the other interviews. And so now what I think I'm going to do to surprise you is like, I don't know, maybe your Christmas present this year will be like, hey, remember that thing we did a year ago? Here it is. Hey, <laughs> Finally. Man, I know the way you're I know the way you're killing it. I think it's gonna be my Christmas present next year. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we're hiring like crazy right now, so maybe we'll get more bandwidth to do it. Heck yeah, dude. Yeah. But you gotta share in a little bit what you're doing at the Uptown Agency. Yeah. Why don't you share now since we're on the topic? Well, actually, quick plug, actually, if any graphic designers with experience in branding and identity, pre video production, website design and development are looking for work, hit me up. I just created a new revenue stream for the DLC Drop podcast. It's essentially a classifieds. Staffing. So, <laughs> boom. I think we might have something here. I'll give you a cut. I thought I was giving you a cut. Oh, I'll take that. Okay. Yeah, I like that better. It's my podcast. Oh. So it's, oh. and then you get to, you see what I'm doing here? Oh, yeah. Math is hard. Agreed. That's Agreed. why I left finance. Dude, let's talk about that. So finance, do you do finance now or are you specifically focused on marketing? Do, like, I do, do finance in my own company. Sure. Yeah. It, interesting enough. I like a lot of people when I went to college, I chose finance as a major here at SMU. So pony up. Do they do that? Whoop. I, I don't, that was my, nah, really that's a that. we, we just lose it. Football games. Actually, right now we're doing really good. Really good in football. I'm not a giant football person, but I can appreciate when the team at the school you went to is doing well. When they get to the end of the field that it you get points? Yeah, I just found that out recently. It's actually, it was mind-blowing to me. I was like, why is everybody trying to get over there? What's so special well, about it? Well, let me take it a, <laughs> a step further for you, and this is going to blow your mind. Yeah. Is the team that gets the most points wins? No. It's going to make watching football a lot easier for you. Oh, man. Know. I know. Oh, that's great. Thank you, John. You're it's dropping here, knowledge on me today. It's what, you know, it's part of the DLC <laughs> drop, dropping knowledge. I chose finance and it's because I think when I was in my early 20s, I felt very much like I wanted to become someone. And when you're young and you're in your 20s, you're like, what is some? what does it mean to be someone? And to me, I thought money, 
Yeah. That's what makes you someone. And I just became so obsessed with, I want to make money. And so what do you choose to do for a living, right? What do you think? <laughs> Manage you know, money, count you, money, m- yeah, keep track of money. That's what you think of. So like I studied finance and I went into banking and it was just, it was interesting because I ha- I did well in that industry. Like I got promoted quite a bit, like things were looking really great, but I never really tapped into that part of my soul. That same person that was Joseph Alexander at 15 writing songs with his guitar. That did not exist inside of banking for me. And there was just like something missing. And I was, you know, desperately trying to fill that hole. And in your 20s, you're like, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll buy a nice car. So you get a nice car. That'll do it. And oh, that yeah. filled the hole, yeah. right? Permanently? You filled the hole for a month. <laughs> and then you realize that doesn't really work that well because you figure, oh, man, girls will like me if I have a nice car. Sure. And then guess what happens? If you're not a nice person, you can't have a good conversation. They they still don't like you unless they're not the best people. So, so you have to like, there's so much learning in life. That's a whole journey idea. But I really realized that, okay, I want to like branch out of this. And so I, I started becoming very interested in venture capital and private equity. Private equity was still like that. Oh, it's a bunch of modeling. It's a lot of, it's pure finance, in it, but Got you it. make even more money. And I was like, I'm not sure about that. And I interviewed at like a bunch of private equity firms and they didn't hire me. So that kind of helped that choice. That, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you're forced to go down the right path, and I was uh, super, whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah, I was super bummed out because, you know, like the real hardcore technical chops, I was still a little rusty on. It was much better with the people, sure. strategy, stuff like that. But, you know. That's another story for another day. So anyways, I got, I got hooked up with this venture capital group that hired me on. Um, I actually took a pretty big pay cut to join them as an intern. So okay. I left an actual banking job to join as an intern because I wanted to break into this field so bad. So I took this huge pay cut, like literally like down to $12 an hour. Wow. When I was on salary, like making over 100 Well, and a lot of people aren't willing yeah. to do that. And so that's right. a big thing there where you, in fact, I, was, I had uh lunch last week with a mentor of mine. He's executive vice president of a big agency in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And he said, if I was to redo life all over again, I'd I'd go be an intern at an architecture firm. And we laughed and said, of course you wouldn't do that. I think it's really funny you say that. So I interviewed a a guy a couple days ago and his background was an architect. And now he's a designer. And he's actually a really freaking good designer, but because he looks at things with such a, an architecture's, like an architect's mind, yeah. the way, the way a room flows, like he, his, and also he's very good in like experiential, like design for events because he already sends how, he understands how to construct things, right? So like right. when he's designed, I sound so like amateur, construct things, build things like Legos. He knows how to put things together physically with physical products. So that. There's something about his understanding of architecture design that translates into graphic design and branding that it's like special. That makes sense. I can relate that to skateboarding, which is a lot of skateboarders are great photographers because we look at the world completely differently. Mm -hmm. And we walk down the street and it's so funny whenever, when I start dating somebody, they're like tripping out because they're like, I'm like, what are you looking at? I'm like, do do you see that rail? Look Look at those stairs. Beautiful. Can you? <laughs> Do I need to get right. closer? Beautiful. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, I was. It's a little creepy. But it was um, creepy. I wish I hadn't done that. Don't cut ed- it out. Can though. we edit that in post, please? Okay. <laughs> no. But in fact, when I was in high school, it was when Tony Hawk Pro Skater was like really big, and so I'm aging myself. So yeah. Anyway, but the skate shop I skated for, there was the guy who ran it, who was a skateboarder, and the guy who 
funded it was not a skateboarder. It's a typical setup with mm-hmm. startup companies. Mm-hmm. And the investor guy, he was telling me, he, he's like, John, I started playing Tony Hawk. And I see the world like you do now. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, not quite, but yeah. close. But to that point, it's really cool how like our passions and our backgrounds can shape another skill mm-hmm. that could be completely different. And yeah. just the way your mind works then gives you a, a differentiation that, in that discipline. That's the perfect segue into the next point was so I got a job at this venture capital firm. We were in, in we were basically investing in early stage technology companies, a lot of them like B2B SaaS companies. Okay. And now I own an agency, right? So clearly the, founder and yeah, CEO is what right. my, my notes different say. line yeah. of work again. But yeah. one of the things that I've found very common with advertising creative design agency clients is that they're looking for people who speak their language that understand their business problems. True. And a lot of agencies, people, they study marketing, they go work for an agency directly, or they're in creative design work. A lot of times they're thinking from the mindset of selling the service they sell, Uh, but they're not, sure, but they're not looking at it from the, the business owner's mindset. We've invested dollars into a company and we have a plan to grow it. And we need help executing that plan across all these different channels. And we need experts who know how to distribute this message across these mediums and to do it in a way that's efficient so that we can get this sales number, this new number of app users, this new number of, or basically this percentage of user adoption and we want to lower attrition. So there's like real specific business goals that you know, from when I worked at Nye Ventures or whatever, we had a very vested interest in making sure that when you spend dollars, you get a return. And that's really why you hire an agency so that you can spend money and get a return on that money. It's not to just throw money into some black hole. No, it's because you make more than if you didn't do that or if you did something else. Yeah. And the common constraint of view for a lot of designers and a lot of people in the agency world is they think I want to make some, I'm going to make the most beautiful thing because they're artists oh, and that's really. not bad. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. But yeah. at some point that view of I'm going to make the most beautiful thing has to align with business goals achieved. Absolutely. In fact, I, I used to manage a design studio. So that's what moved yeah. me here. And I did that for five years. And yeah. What I learned, there's two things that I'll pull out of what you were saying. Lastly, the last thing first, which was, I think design and business are opposites. Mm. And what we were able to do at that design studio was structure a design process to enable high quality design to happen within a budget and a timeline. Yes. And so you really have to keep a client explaining communication is key because they have to know everything ahead of time. In fact, there were times where you're going through the process and I don't know if I want to mention this part that's going to be a little bit of a pain point to have to go through. There's Mm going to be some pushback. Mm. Every time I would skip one of those things, it would come back to bite us. Absolutely. Number one. Secondly is, I remember the designer I worked with, he, he said, the most intricate, design or the most beautiful artwork is not always the best solution. Mm, that's true. So yeah, depends on what are you doing? Who's the client? What's their voice? What's their, and I think a good way to look at that is I have a very beautiful girlfriend. She's amazing. And she loves no this. She's great. Yeah, yeah. She's so great, but she loves this specific pair of high heel shoes. Okay. From a aesthetic, 
<laughs> aesthetic. How do you say that word? I should know. Aesthetic. From I a think. design perspective, those shoes are beautiful. And she looks great in them. Sure. But sometimes on our date, we might be walking down, because we live right uh, downtown. And right. so we walk to a lot of restaurants we go to because they're two, three blocks. That shoe was not made to do that <laughs> at all. That shoe was not made to be walked in. And it's beautiful, but the functionality of what it is, the user experience and the user right. <laughs> interface of the soul, <laughs> it's not designed to get her from here to here. And that's what digital products, digital designs hmm. are supposed to do. They're supposed to get you from here to here, but they're all supposed to be beautiful. <clears throat> That's why, like, my new dress shoes, for example, I wish I could show you. But they're, like, Cole Haan sneaker dress shoes, and they're really awesome. So, plug Humble brag. Drop something. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the DLC picks. drop is where we drop names of products we own. Names of products. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think the other thing that I was going to pull out of what you were saying, which I think is one of the most valuable skill sets somebody can possess. It's worked well for me is it's worked for me both in gaming and the previous design studio situation is being a translator between two groups of people who can't talk to each other. Mm. And so the design studio example, I was project managing the designers Mm -hmm. and then I was also the client facing like an account executive role. Sure. And so being able, because I wasn't a designer And people would say, John, what do you do at this studio? I'd say, you see all this amazing animation and beautiful illustrations and all this stuff that's just so inspiring, beautiful to look at. I do everything else. (laughs) (laughs) And because I wasn't a designer, I understood why the client didn't know that they couldn't change blue to red in the third phase of the process, but they could Mm. in the second phase. And, And then being able to so I, it took me time to learn the designer's language and that was hard work and that was frustrating and stressful until I learned it. But then I was able to interpret that to the client and then interpret their feedback to a designer in the way that they would understand. Yeah. And then in the same way in my role in, in esports, which I did at GameStop, PRG, and now for my own company, DLC, is speaking to gamers who don't have a great understanding of business a lot of times but mm-hmm. and be able to take business talk translate it to the gaming language yeah and then talking to business leaders and marketers like yourself Mm. and speaking your language about the gaming ecosystem yeah and if you can find yourself in a position where you can do that and you develop these trusted relationships i think sometimes we don't put enough value on the soft skills it's we look at the hard skills and it's okay you can do finance or you can you're a designer or something like that But in my talk just last week with my friend who's the EVP at that agency, I was talking about exactly this, about the soft skills. And he said, isn't that what pulls everything together? Yeah. Isn't that what makes it work? Mm -hmm. And without that, I don't know, I just want people listening to have that in mind as as they're looking at their path, whether they're starting out their journey, they're like, where should I go? Mm. Or if they're further down the path and they're saying... How can I either improve or how, how can I look at other opportunities within my field? Exactly. I know this thing. And then there's this other thing related. If I can spend the time and energy and effort to learn that, I can be that translator. That's, that's the idea. Yeah. Valuable. 100%. And to your point, that's the idea. Anyone who's ever shifted an industry or looking for a new work somewhere else, they talk a lot about, 
on your resume, talk about your transferable skill sets, right? That's what we talk a lot about. Transferable skill set is just a def- is the definition of I'm able to take things from here, translate them into something that works here. I right. can take design or I can take architecture. I think that's a great example. Architecture, right? Knowing how to think about the purpose of a building. Yeah. People are going to come here to do this yep. and then think about the materials you have available to you to build a building and then think about what people are going to be doing inside the building and what actions are people going to be taking. And then you start thinking about the uh, design elements of the building and what do the people say they want you to make. And right. then you actually start building this beautiful building using all these different components, what it's used for, the the tools and the materials you have, the things that people are going to be doing. What do you want people to be doing? Are you trying to encourage like open space gatherings, communication? Are you trying to silo everyone so they can have space to think? That translates over design. That's that's how you think through a website, right? What 100%. are people coming here to do? The flow, right? And what, so, yeah, what actions do I want to encourage? What materials do we have? What software do we have? What's the appropriate tools to use here? Like, it's no different. That's a transferable skill set. That's why that guy impressed me so much. And so, you're, yeah. yeah, you're taking, okay, this is how people at an event flow through a building. Yeah. Now, how can I understand, and this is what you do very well, the customer journey. Exactly. And how does the... And it's more from a, I don't know, a personality perspective or, or mm. what is that journey that people naturally take from first discovering a product and then what needs to happen next and next and next until there's a sale. Exactly. So tell me this, because I know a little bit about marketing. I have a bachelor's degree in it from Sacramento <laughs> State, mm. Harvard of the West, I believe is the sure. official slogan. Yeah. Stingers up. Go Hornets. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's a pinky thing. That's, I thought you were going to do like the, the billionaire. Like when I billions. when I drink, the reason I do the pinky is not because I'm refined. <laughs> you know what? I do that too. It's because I'm repping my university. Oh, okay. So Very nice. Now you know what it is. Now, how many touch points are there typically? And I'm sure it varies, but from... Because people simplify it. They're like, oh, marketing, purchase. Sure. And the worst no. companies in the world go straight to sales. And there's sure. this whole thing. How, how many touch points are there there? So it varies depending on industry, but you know, the, the kind of common accepted knowledge is there's about eight. Okay. So there's about eight, eight touch points between I'm unaware of something existing or yep. unaware of a problem that's in existing and then realizing there's a problem. Then you start to see, maybe you engage with the brand and they have a solution and you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't realize there was a software solution that could do that for me. And then you start, are there other software solutions, right? So you start looking at that. And so now you've got a couple of other touch points. Then you're like, okay, I think these are the top contenders. And you start looking at their websites and then you're looking at pricing and then you're getting retargeting ads and emails and all that stuff. So typically about eight, but from my experience, it, it varies really wildly. And depending on the kind of product that it is, like B2B solutions, they're going to be a lot more touch points, right? That journey of someone who's been given a directive by upper level management to solve a problem. Right. Um, they're the level of research and analysis that they're going to take trying to find a right solution that then they can go implement. Like they have to think through so many more variables down that journey as compared that then the person who's on one a new pair of sneakers. Yeah. You buy Nike instead of Adidas and you're not going to lose your job. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. We said, we say IBM, you hire IBM, you don't get fired because we hired the best. I'm going to use that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, we use that a lot. The VC firms. So about eight, 
But, you know, typically give or take, I, I feel like so many people, they look at industry norms when they should really be thinking about almost looking at it from we're here yesterday. How do we do better than we did yesterday? What does the data tell us about our touch points? Yeah. And then how do we improve our touch points to a sale? Okay. And how are we mapping someone's journey from being completely unaware of us and thinking about all, what do they want? Number one, what are the issues that they're running into? What's the external problem that they have internal feelings that are causing them uh, discomfort yeah. or frustration or whatever? How do we map those feelings out across that customer journey from being unaware to aware to evaluating solutions and buying and then growing with you? How do we evaluate and map out all these feelings across these different touch points so that we're always answering the feeling caused by the external problems here? Does that make okay. sense? Yeah, it does. I, I, my favorite, I was a huge nerd in school because I, with, with my marketing degree, I went back to school late after a failed attempt to become a professional skateboarder. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so... You're very good at it, though. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, lessons, $30 an hour. I'll take okay, one. That's your special one price. lesson. Everybody oh, else, it's a lot okay. more. Yeah, I'll do it. Okay. Podcast guests get a, a special a, rate. Does a board come with it? No, definitely <sighs> not. You gotta go blow 150 bucks at. Uh, do they still have fast forward? Is that the place? Or what? What's the place? Uh, yeah, mind. fast forward is uh, the skate shop. Further down south. Yeah, uh, they had, okay. like in Houston, I believe. Yeah, we used to have one here in Dallas when I was a kid. The Point Skate Shop. There's one right by my house. Okay. And so I bought a house in March. Super hyped. Congrats. First one. Thank you. It's beautiful, by the way. Thank you. I need to come see it in person. Yeah, from the pictures you've seen, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I need to beat you at pool when you come over. We're actually, we're going to be doing some special podcast episodes at the house, playing pool while we do an interview. That would be cool. So maybe round two, you can come through. That's like that show. Who, who does the show? I It's like really famous people that they're driving around and they're talking. Jerry Seinfeld. That one, but then the James. Comedians in cars. And, oh, Jay Leno. No, not Jalen. No, no. They're actually like interviewing people while they drive around and it's that British sounding guy. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, you know yeah. Okay. It's uh, Carpool Karaoke. Yeah. Something like that. Is that the one? Yeah. The, okay. It, James Corden. I James say. Cor- that's it. Yep. Boom. I knew it was Jay. We shouldn't sing in our next episode. You can, but I'm going to. I don't know. I lost it, dude. I, yeah. Like you wanted to skateboard. I wanted to sing for a living, but that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I didn't try hard enough crush dreams to my point to back up and apologize to the audience for having to listen to that uh, <laughs> <laughs> i know they love it dude so you the, guys love it the point skate shop it's right next to my house like walking distance and yeah. they have an indoor bowl there and so i was like oh sick like i don't I haven't been skating bowls as much obviously as i get older i want to like ramp up see what i did there <laughs> oh, was terrible <laughs> ramp up the the transition skills the bowl skating skills and then covid hit and I have not gone because they closed down the bowl. So I haven't skated the bowl in seven months. Are you all right? Not emotionally. I know, I'm physically, like... I'm actually better because I'd probably be slamming all the time. Yeah. The Masonite, it's really slippery, but emotionally I'm, I'm, I'm torn apart. I'm worried about you because that's like your, that's your way of coping, right? Like you get out there it on is. that board, you feel free. It is. Actually, I still, I go to the Plano Skate Park is my favorite one. They have this hip derail. Mm. We can link to a couple tricks. Uh, okay. That I've yeah, you should. In cut, yeah. cut to clips. Okay. And, but this actually happened to me yesterday. Okay. I was like, oh, I got a busy week. I'm building the business. I have my son part of the time. 
I've got all these things going on. So I'm going to exercise my freedom of working any 14 to 16 hours a day that I choose as an <laughs> entrepreneur to go skateboarding in the afternoon yeah. when it's very nice outside. I made, this is the worst part, I made some coffee because I have to drink something to give me energy before I go skate. Made the coffee, got everything to go, wearing my cool skater clothes. I want to make friends, obviously. Sure. And walking out to the garage, I forgot I broke my skateboard the last time I went skateboarding. So you had you walked out and saw a broken skateboard, or did you not have one because you threw it away? No, I still have it. But I, I, I have a... It's the trucks. So yeah. I have this bedroom that's storage currently. So we're working towards it. Yeah. But I walked in, I was like... So I went back into the office and I kept working. That's a bummer. Biggest bummer. I'm sorry. That really, I'm, I feel sad now. I feel like I should Makes go me feel yours. a little better. You want me to send you a board? I know you got sponsors, but. I mean, no, I have boards. I need grip tape. Oh, you need grip tape? Oh, yeah. I remember those. Man, you're making me want to go skateboard again. Let's go. I'm going to go break my hip. Right when we met, <laughs> when we met, you were wanting to go skate. Well, yeah, every time I hang out with you, I want to go skate. And then as soon as I'm not hanging out with you, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> it immediately leaves. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm just not, I'm not as agile as I used to be. I'm quicker up here, but you know. Dude, the first like 10 slower. minutes yeah. going to the, so I used to always be the guy like out of the car just jumping down stuff i'm skating right like i just had a vision sorry of you stretching like old man stretches it happens yeah. if you need that in person roll up to the plane of skate park when i don't have a broken skateboard <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so it's so bad like i had to teach myself not to go ham mm. right when i got out of this car because i would slam yeah so hard and that's how i would wake up mm. or warm up i was like oh dang i almost broke my elbow at least i'm warmed up now <laughs> so this is my life so now the first 10 or 15 minutes, I'm just rolling around and I'm just thinking, you wait, kids, it's coming. <laughs> oh yeah. They're all like being hot shots. Yeah. Hey man, experience and wisdom. It's a big deal on the skate park. It goes they a long don't way. Expect you to, do you remember, you ever see those YouTube videos of that guy? He basically puts on like the fake face and makeup and he's like a bodybuilder and he goes out to like Muscle Beach and he oh, like, yeah. up, he's a hundred. Yeah. You're like, come on man, get out of here. And he's like, beast in it. That's you, except you're not faking it. <laughs> that is like the most accurate depiction of my life right now you're oh, actually man. <laughs> yeah no it's what's funny i think it was like a year ago i'm 37 now okay and like close a, yeah getting close closer every day mm. so this kid we're standing on top of this bank this kid's probably 16 i always wear a hat I, if i wear a hat and shave i look like i'm 16 but you know so people probably don't realize because i'm crushing it like that I'm like this super old dude, right? Yeah. So this like 16 year old kid standing next to me. He's like, man, that dude over there's old. He's like 28. I was like, you know how old I am? 36. It was just like, damn. <laughs> like damn, it, it like stirred his soul. That's he was he like old. felt he was like, whoa. <laughs> the kids will ask me, like, how long have you been skateboarding? I'm like, how old are you? <laughs> okay, so like 10 years longer than you've been alive. Oh, yeah. That's it's good. A, you don't, you, you realize too, like how, so I'm 32 and I saw pictures, like things just happen slower for us. You know what I mean? In this day and age, I saw pictures sure. of my parents getting married at, and they were like 19. They yeah. They look like little kids. 
that's probably the same age of those kids that are like, whoa, at the skate park for you. It's amazing, yeah. like, how we take it a little slower these days. I think I'm better for it, you know? Yeah. You you live and you learn. Yeah. I've learned a lot. You've learned a lot. The hard way. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, dude, let's go yeah, Let's let's... go back to what I'm interested in, some of your first jobs. Oh, dude, they're rough. I know. Let me, okay, That's actually... why I was so interested. In, and I want to see who's had the worst ones. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, this is a good... So. The last 10 years, I've had just this abnormal, like incredible, like just drive. I really want to do something with my life and I really want to make an impact while I'm here. Like it matters to me. Did you get hypnotized me. or something? Or no. Just, <laughs> I went to see people, Tony Robbins yeah, and he did his voodoo. <laughs> sometimes that happens, dude. Yeah. Rob Deerdick oh, yeah. got did, hypnotized. Did he? For, for, for greatness. Yeah. Oh, that's great. There's like some video on him talking Before about he was great or after he was Before great? Before he was great. Oh, that's... And then he became great. Send me that guy's number. I want to get hypnotized. 1-800-Tony-Robbins. I just don't know if I, like, I need a friend there that I trust because I don't want to get hypnotized by someone and no one be around. Yeah, He's it's like, like Joseph's you will like... empty your bank account and give it to me. I'm like, yes. Oh, I was thinking like, <laughs> Joseph's super successful and rich, but he clucks like a chicken every now and then. Like, that's what I was, I was like, eh, it's a tick. Every time someone says, hey, you guys want to go get some chicken? Uh, that's the sound effects you were talking about earlier. I actually did one. Impressive. Thank you. We're going to keep that for future episodes. Yeah. All right. So your shady jobs. Okay. So my first job ever. Actually, my dad painted houses when I was like really little. And so he was like, he like painted houses and he also was a country music star, but not, so I shouldn't say star. He was a country music Guy in a band that played at like really nasty bars, like okay. smoke filled, gross bars with 20 people inside. Got it. That had what, never heard of him either. Which instrument did he play? He, he was like the lead guy, right? He sang oh, and cool. But he, he was like a cover band guy. Yeah. So, anyways, my real first job, I guess you could say, was like standing at smoking bars and watching my dad sing and getting offered drinks by old ladies and taking a sip. <laughs> I cut it. No, I'm joking. Don't cut that. That's funny. I think. Who knows? We'll figure it out. Let the audience A B test. So after that, I he was like painting houses, and I my first job was masking windows. You ever yeah. painted a house, or you ever done any good I painting? Have, dude, I've done a lot of yeah. painting. Yeah. So like uh, mask, just like lining up tape, and then they would spray around it or whatever. That was highbrow stuff. Then when I was about fifteen, just because of like our situation with my family, I had what was called like hard. You could do like hardship employment or whatnot. Yeah. So I got a job at CVS Pharmacy cleaning bathrooms and just like stocking shelves. Respectable, honest work. Yeah. Which yeah. actually really interesting. One of our newest clients, Spacey, we landed them like last week and they're awesome people, like really cool people. But they have developed what's called an artificial intelligence database inventory solution in which they literally have AI lasers scanning grocery store aisles genius counting the inventory and ordering automatically inventory that has been depleted and needs to be and i think Incredible. to myself yeah. how funny is it like my first job was counting inventory and now yeah. as with my with the work we're doing here at the agency it's like we're helping to sell a service that is making that job obsolete i'm stealing <laughs> jobs no, I'm kidding. Not stealing jobs, but you were, we're allowed. Like, you're, you're just eliminating jobs. You're not stealing anything. <laughs> the, no, AI. <laughs> the no. job eliminator. The job eliminator. 
Come yeah. to my agency. No, I'm kidding. We're allowing companies to take employees who would be doing things that are like really simple yeah. and repurpose them for like more customer facing engagements. Like, yeah. how can I spend less time like front facing an aisle? And how can I spend more time making sure that our customers know where things are? having a good experience. So that's how I would like to look at it. And I think any company yeah. would look at it the same way with conscience, right? CVS pharmacy, front facing aisles, counting inventory and cleaning the bathrooms, which by the way, in North Ocean Hills, <laughs> CVS, those were disgusting. We had like homeless people going in there and like showering. I mean, it's not, <laughs> not it's, that there's it's not necessarily like cleaning bathrooms is like <laughs> it's a like in wonderful general. job anywhere. But what but you're like, saying yeah. is that it was an extra challenging toilet cleaning experience. My mom so liked to use the word atrocious. Hmm. That was the word. I thought that was really good. Good job, mom. Good word. She's got good words. She has great vocabulary. She's a smart lady. Let me match your, your, your job right. with mine. So uh, this is actually my very first feature. So I've been very fortunate to get some features over the course of my career. And this was eighth grade. So I'm going to show you the picture and we can cut to it in the podcast. I'll send okay, it to the producer. But that's 14 year old Johnny painting his way to Washington, D.C. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm going to read it to you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so this is a picture for our audio listeners of me kneeling at a curb. Mm. And I've got some numbers and I've got a spray can mm. in my hand. And. Dangerous. It's a young John Davidson, mm. eighth grader. Mm. Title in the Readley Exponent, shout out. Okay. Painting his way to Washington, D.C. John Davidson, an eighth grade student at Grant Middle School, fully intends to paint his way to Washington, D.C. this all, June. All the way. The young entrepreneur, prophetic. The young entrepreneur made a deal with his parents to pay for half of the expenses of the educational trip to the nation's capital. Between now and June 5th, John must raise over $400, and he has just the plan to do it. For a $5 fee, John is painting house numbers on curbsides for U.S. Or for <laughs> I can't <laughs> for the entire U.S. This is good. Keep going. For a $5 fee, John is painting house numbers on curbsides for use by emergency vehicles. Mm. John's mother, Elaine Davidson, said, Someday, a number on a curb could even save a life on a 9-11 call. My mom, it's a terrible impersonation of my mother. Yeah. John first paints a white rectangular <laughs> background on the curb, then paints the appropriate numbers in black. Mm. How appropriate. Mm. The job is quickly dispatched and John is well on his way to Washington, D.C. Until he messed up house numbers should have charged and $10 got arrested for vandalizing <laughs> houses that he had nothing to do with. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. So John, tell me about the, the prison time. It all started when I was painting my way to Washington DC and I never stopped. <laughs> Actually, uh, this reminds me of another story. One more. When I was in, uh, what was it? Set. No, I was in band, like sixth grade band. Okay. And I was in or, band or was it elementary school that we did this? Maybe it was like back when you play the recorder. Sure. Yeah. Third, yeah. third grade. Yeah. Do y'all remember the recorder? Oh, those were the dream days, man. Big time. That was when like uh, Britney Spears was a thing for me. Oh, there you baby, go. baby. Whatever. See, that's the Could you play effect. that on the recorder? <laughs> no. <laughs> I couldn't. 
It's too busy playing Backstreet Boys. Anyways, they wanted us to, you, do you remember the candy drives where you get your box full of chocolate bars? Absolutely. And you'd go door to door, which like you can't do now because people are insane and we know what happens to kids who go sell candy door to door by themselves. Yeah, not try to avoid out there. Yeah, the world has changed. Or maybe it hasn't. We just know now we're not retarded anymore. They said, go sell them for a dollar. And I had a brilliant idea. Young entrepreneur. Why not $2? Boom. Then I get half and the school gets half. Anyways, I got in a bunch of trouble because <laughs> I had made, I think I made three or $400. Cause now that I'm, and this is what's funny to me is they didn't want the kids to make any money. This is for charity. You're doing this to raise money for the school. But do you know what? I sold more candy bars than any other kid in the you school. You had skin in the game. You had an opportunity. Exactly. That's yeah. why, you know what? Mm-hmm. That's why you got to employ his bonuses and stuff whenever they bring in deals or whatever. Like you want to incentivize everyone to do a good job. It's a life lesson. To bring in new customers, to keep those customers around. It's very important. But yeah, they didn't like that. They said that was unethical. And okay. Said, so we've, okay. So Joseph, you're now ethical from what I'm I ethical. Now. Absolutely. Okay. Like there, you're also in that system, you're playing in someone's rules that like are really arbitrary. True. And I think those people aren't just listening to reason. Like they should have allowed the kids to make a little something. 10 cents a candy bar, you know? I like 25 it. cents. I like it. Let me match your door to door. Okay. You got one? With another one. <laughs> Let's do this. Have you heard of Kirby vacuums and are you familiar with how they're sold? <laughs> that was really good. I have? I'm not. They're sold door to door. No. Because there's no other reason you would buy a $1,900 <laughs> vacuum cleaner unless you experience that it is a superior product. And there's someone like in your face pressuring you to buy it. Big time. Not only pressuring you, but grossing you out with your own filth that's coming mm. out of not only your carpets, but your mattress. Oh, no. Okay, so this get ready for this. This place is disgusting. Look what you live in. Story time. Kirby. So I was at a sketchy cell phone store. Okay. And I wanted to take a skateboarding trip to Mexico. Mm. And my shady bosses wouldn't let me go on the trip. So, of course, I quit the day before I went on the skateboarding trip. Naturally. So, I went on the trip. It was awesome. I came back. But there was six weeks before I was going to go on this tour, this nationwide tour. So, I was like, crap. Like, I need a job for six weeks. But also I understand that there's a lot of investment that goes on when you hire somebody and it's really screwed up if I interviewed and got somebody to hire me, but then I just left and was like, peace out, I'm going skateboarding. So I was like, how could, let me find a job that like, they don't care if I leave or there's a high turnover, whatever. Classifieds. Kirby vacuum door-to-door sales. You mean there's high turnover selling vacuums door-to-door? Who would have thought? I know. That's crazy. This is a, that's the DLC drop where we drop knowledge and insights. So <laughs> you're such, you're so good at plugging. That's a good plug. Hey, I'm learning, man. DLC. This is episode four. So ah, dude, if you think I'm good at plugging, now, I'm so proud of you. Wait till episode five. I can't, I'm just so Thanks, happy man. that all these people are like going to be able to hear all these inspiring and innovative and educational stories. Thank you. You're welcome. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm put you I'm in the trailer you. to promote the podcast. So, I go to, so Kirby, it's it's like a legal pyramid scheme. And so I don't know if this is still the case, but this was like 15 years ago. Kirby was responsible for the making of more millionaires than any other company. Because it really is, you start as a sales associate, you become mm. a manager with a team and you get stuff from that. And then you get your own dealership thing. And 
It's like a pyramid scheme, right? It's an interesting way to structure it, actually. Yeah, the Egyptians built pyramids and they're still around today, so it makes perfect sense. Follow me. So, I join Kirby. So, the first week they teach you how to do the thing, how to sell them, and then you go out on the road. So, you, you, we worked six days and we're encouraged to work seven. Mm. Which, as an entrepreneur, that doesn't sound crazy, but when you're knocking on doors the whole time, it does sound a little crazy. That's a lot of doors. It's a lot of doors. So, it's a lot of people yelling at you, too. <laughs> you were here last week. Reminds me of my telemarketing uh, Especially you live in a which, small neighborhood. So they, well, listen to this. <laughs> so, we go in to the, the, the HQ, right? There's probably like 50 of us. And they're hyping people up. They're announcing, like, who sold one, like, the day before. Oh, they play this music. They're like, yeah, go. Joseph sold a Kirby yesterday. How much did you sell for Joseph? Man, I sold it for... Because the you can bring down the price and it just takes away your bonus money. So you could actually get a, a Kirby for $900 if you didn't want the salesman to make anything off of it. Oh. But you started at 1900 right? Thank you, by the way, because next salesman that comes around, I'll be like, I want it for nine. You're welcome. You're welcome. I mean, it's probably even cheaper now. I'm not greedy. I'll give you $25. There you go. Yeah. All right. So go ahead. And I won't yell at you. That's, you got to understand where the value is. That's right. It's not just financial. Mm -hmm. You know, there's value all over the place. Okay. Stop interrupting me. So they hype it up. Joseph, tell us how you sold it. Oh, I did this, that, the other. Got him with uh, vacuuming the mattress and sold it for $1,600 plus the insurance. Yeah, Joseph. So you do that for an hour. Get everybody hyped. We would drive up to two hours away to pillage these neighborhoods. <laughs> and so the first part of the day is everybody just goes and knocks on doors. There were some girls who their job was just to knock on doors because they were pretty and it was easy for them to have somebody let them in the house. Yeah. And then the person is disappointed because it's, okay, here's Joseph to, to... Oh, never mind. So anyway, you knock on doors first half of the day and you try to get in one. But the manager is driving away. If he's got a house over, he'll come pick you up and take you there. And so the benefit of the Kirby is that it is a superior machine. Mm. There's up to 16 different packet patents. It's like, it almost sounds like you're British. That's you part of the training. Yeah. You learn how to say words like patents. Mm. What you they have with the Kirby you're doing the demos with is they've got this little filter thing that you can take out. Mm. And because nobody has a Kirby, their rugs are disgusting. Mm. And so what a Kirby does is it brings out the dirt from under the carpet, not just the top. And does that by creating a suction on the carpet, airflow, and the airflow brings it from underneath. I'd be happy to sell you one. Okay. So you're vacuuming and you have these white pads that are circular about yay big. And as you, you go vroom, that thing's black right away, right? You take it out. And you put it on the edge of the room. And so you're vacuuming. The, the deal is you're vacuuming and shampooing their one room for free. But as you're doing it, you're showing them how much crap you're pulling out of their carpet. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh. And then this is the move. There's two major moves. One is say, hey, Joseph, do you have any salt and baking soda? by chance. Oh yeah, of course I do. I have some right here. Would you mind grabbing that? I just want to give you a brief demonstration of what I'm getting out of your carpet and what's happening here. So you so you just dump so much salt and baking soda in their carpet. <laughs> Joseph, the baking soda is the lighter dirt that comes in the dust, blah, 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 blah. And the salt represents the, the bigger 
pieces of dirt, which have up to 12 cutting edges and are actually cutting away at your carpet as you walk on it, blah, 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 blah. You get their old vacuum. Mm. And you're like, tell me how many times you want me to go over it. You literally go over it like 100 times if they want you to. And then you get the black pad, because remember, it's white baking soda and salt, right? No matter how many times you've gone over it with their other, all this stuff comes out. And then you got to really feel the vibe of the person. But the move is, if you're feeling it, you're like, Joseph, <laughs> if you're, is a vacuum cleaner broken if it doesn't turn on or if it doesn't pick up the dirt, which is its job to do? Oh, that's so good. And oh. then here's the thing. And you got to, because you don't want to do this if it's not right. And of course, the answer, if it doesn't do the job, it's obviously broken. And so you pick it up and you say, where does the trash go? Outside? But they're all the vacuum cleaner outside. If they let you do that, you got the deal. Oh, and you would actually take it. You Did you put tra- people's vacuums in trash cans? <laughs> and then here's the other oh, move. The second oh, move. That's horrible. Which, and I'll stop boring the audience with the story, but is, dude, if you can, if they'll let you into their bedroom to vacuum their mattress, because it's in your mattress, is all your dead skin cells. It's disgusting. And if they see that, they're buying that thing right away. Oh, wow. So that was my job for six weeks. Unfortunately, it's just six weeks. But we would start at eight in the morning and we would get home at midnight. Wow. And there were some days where we didn't make, nobody on the team made any sales. Wow. And so the problem that I had with that job, other than people yelling at me for knocking on their door and for putting their vacuums in the trash can was I'm not super financially driven. Like it's a factor, but it's not my main motivator. Mm. And so people in that type of a job, like we'd be going back, nobody made a sale, the manager, like, Joseph, when you get home tonight, I want you to sit on your leather couch and I want you to look at your big screen TV. And I want you to remember that this job got you that. And I was like, it's not doing it for me. It's not, that's not the thing. Mm. And I'm not criticizing anybody who's financially motivated, but for me, it made that job much more difficult because yeah. the motivations they provided, I didn't resonate with. Uh, no, that is such a, that was a really long story to get, to get, <laughs> <laughs> to get there. No, but I, I think you made the point like perfectly clear. What I made pretty good money in finance. Yeah. And when I went, when I started my own agency, again, I took, you know, I took a pay cut to get into VC. Yeah. And then I got to the point where I was making really good money. And then, I took a pay cut to start an agency, like a massive pay cut. It wasn't as bad as the hourly one, but like I had one customer paying us. Like sure. Paying me like 50 grand a year. So it was like, all right, I'm going to get 50%. I'm going to get like this big reduction in pay. But I was doing what I wanted to do. Mm. So like when I was at the fund, it was like, all right, you're like helping with these certain aspects of the operations of all, like all of our different portfolio companies. Yeah. And it was like, well, I just want to do those things. I don't want to do the other part of my job, which I found to be incredibly just not for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I, I always thought that I would have been more motivated by money from my younger years. Cause I, I really, like when I was a kid, I really believed that if I was going to be happy, I needed to be rich beyond imagination. I needed yeah. to be the richest guy ever. But then as I got older, I truly realized that it didn't, you know what, like, I'm the happiest, I think, my life right now, I'm the happiest I think a person could ever be. I'm the Mm. happiest I have ever been. 
That's now awesome. I'm making good money now, right? Yeah, so it's not like a zero sum game. Yeah. It'd be different if, okay, there's some factors yeah. where like you're making enough to live. Yeah, you have 76. a beautiful view. I Like every time I go to Joseph's balcony, I'm like, I'm glad I don't have to pay the rent, but I'm, I think it's a, <laughs> You don't want that. I'm going to take in this view. I'm yeah. going to get one for the gram. Let me get a panorama uh, real quick. Dude, it what's funny to me is I wasn't as motivated by money, just to your point. It, it just, I thought it would be more to me than it was. And I yeah. think I had to experience enough of life where you tr- you think money is going to give you like respect and love. And right. it's really, you're just trying to feel included. You're trying to feel a part of something. You're trying to feel worthwhile or of that your life has some level of significance more than just me staring in the mirror. You I actually know? have, I have a theory about yeah. money and beauty, if you'd like to hear it. Yeah, I do. Go ahead. Let's hear it. Okay. So my theory is this, which, and it's not a criticism of anybody and it's, it's not a broad generalization. Yeah. But your point about money, you talk about, oh, people will love me and stuff. No, people just want stuff from you and you can, that might come in the form of love or appear to be love, but people just want stuff from you. Yeah. And so my theory is that in life, we as children, we find the way naturally through life, like least path of resistance, yeah. if you will. So let's see, the jock, who the really athletic guy, when he continues to win championships or win games, that's how he receives affirmation and he, you know, creates his his group of friends, etc. And the smart kid lets the jock copy his homework. And if he doesn't get good grades, he's not going to have that person as a friend. And the funny kid develops humor to get through life because you're funny and, oh, people laugh at me because, you know, like me because I'm making them laugh. The thing. Yeah. And I think there's two paths, and it's really sad, actually, that do not develop people. Mm. And I think it's money and beauty. Mm. It's and true. I don't think, now I'm not saying that you can't have money or be beautiful and still develop these characteristics. I think that comes from family. I think that has comes from having the right people around you. But the thing about those is that people want something from you that you don't have to do anything to give them. Yeah. The other examples I gave, I gave you have to do something. The funny kid has to be funny. If his jokes aren't funny, yeah, he's not achieving what he wants to, et cetera. Yeah. And so I think that we can go through life. Unfortunately, I've never been beautiful or rich. So I'm, <laughs> that's why I'm so well developed. No, but <laughs> such a good personality. Actually, let me tell you a girl, I know a girl and she has a really funny saying. And I don't know if she made it up or if she got it from somewhere else, but she always tells me, I grew up really ugly in like elementary and middle and high school. She's mm-hmm. like, so I had to develop this awesome personality and now I'm hot. <laughs> so I have it all. And well, she's so right. It's she, a funny way of saying it. Yeah. But I think the point is, regardless, a lot of it has to be with the people around you and, the, and what people value that are around you. Exactly. And yep. I think when you link that to with work, what I've experienced in, in other jobs, I've had what I thought was a dream job that I hated. Mm. And what I loved was people's validation of what they thought my experience was. Yep. And that's, I was like, all in, I used to be all into social media and I got off it. I've got back on like for my business, but about four years ago, I got off social media and everything. And one of the most challenging things as I was going skateboarding by myself for the first time with nobody filming me Mm. in 25 years. Wow. Because I've always had a camera on me when I'm I'm skating. People are always filming me and stuff, being a sponsored skater. 
And so I came to this come to Jesus moment where I was like, if I'm doing something and nobody knows about it, do I enjoy it? And I'm a pretty simple person. I don't do like a lot of like different stuff. But what I realized is I was doing a lot of things that looked cool or that other people valued that I didn't really care about. Mm. And so when I cut those things out of my life and then I found the things that really filled me in a variety of ways and that I enjoyed. Yeah. And then also like when I did do something cool, like you'll get a text from me now and then, like when I was with PRG or driving a Corvette in LA or whatever. And I'm like, yo, check out the car that my friend let me borrow Malibu. (laughs) That's the best. And, but rat, but I was able to share that with you. And then a few other friends who actually like care about me and we have these conversations and we, we want each other to do well. And it's like, oh, cool, John, I'm glad you got the experience. Sure. Rather than throwing it on Instagram and just saying 40 likes, 50 yeah. likes, 100 or whatever. And so that's just been such a powerful thing in my life. And it has a lot to do with, I guess, the people who are around you and what, I guess, what you're working for, like how you're getting that validation Yeah, I think that's a big thing. And for me, I was very validation motivated, might be a good way to say it like earlier. What's interesting now is I'll always have a little bit of that. Sure. We all want to be appreciated. We always, we all want to feel like we're doing something important or successful or significant or whatever. I still definitely have that. So I'm not like discounting. I'm not saying, oh, that's bad to, to get some of that. But like you, when I started doing things because I wanted to do them because of the inherent desire and curiosity to learn more about something yeah, or just like that feeling of this is something I go, I want to go do. You, you'll never really find anything in life that you're going to like a hundred percent of every single aspect of it. Like business right. is business. Passions are passions. You start doing a passion for work. Next thing you know, you're doing it for a client. So yeah. there's all kinds of stuff, ways that gets mixed around. So you always have a little bit of everything, but when I go to work, I'm just happy. And yeah. when I'm, we're talking through what our clients needs are, what their users needs are, or what their customers needs are, or what mm. things they're feeling like getting something about getting into the story of the customer, yeah, telling the story of the customer and speaking to that and trying to address the problems and the emotional things that they're going through and then trying to influence that reminds me a lot about like writing music when I was a kid and trying to tap into that internal frustration, that internal emotion that I knew that everyone that listened to this, if it was good, would connect with. Sure. Because it's connecting. Yeah. And, And it's not different. It's not different. The essence of what it is the right message at the right place at the right time. Some people need to hear sad songs. Sometimes people need to hear happy, triumphant songs. True. Because these songs, they represent all the aspects of our journey. And when you're doing great marketing and great advertising, you want your messaging to speak to that specific part of someone's journey. And that's what we do. So when I go to work, and we're going through all the crazy data and everything that we're pulling together to tell this story. Yep. When we start seeing the light at the end of that tunnel, when we start crafting that story, when we start launching campaigns and seeing people interact with them and that you're hitting something, man, that's, that's, a, that's like writing a song it's incredible. and people yeah. clapping for you because you're wow. like, that's the same thing. Now, they don't see me. They don't know me. They have no idea who I am, but they see Nike 
They see GameStop. They see WeWork. They see all these other companies that are. So it's cool. Yeah. It's just passion plus expertise is just, I don't know. When you're in that zone and you're happy, you're living your best life, right? right. <laughs> Joel Osteen, <laughs> live your best life. Your stuff just really just starts to click. And then that infects everyone around you. Like the way I True. treat people around me is so different. I'm not, because oh, when I was in that weird place of validation, seeking and needing of it, guess what I expected of other people? I had unrealistic expectations of myself. I have to be mm. this particular image. Therefore, people around me have to be this particular image because if they're not, then I'm not. Yeah, and so too. now all of a sudden I'm toxic to other people. Yeah. But now I'm not. Now right. I'm like, I'm, I want to live and let live. I want to be happy and do what I do. And the people around me, I feel so free to like just accept other people no matter how different they are no matter how different their goals or their values might be i'm like all right i can appreciate that you do you like let's enjoy you together i don't have to and it's just neat man like life is just different now and it's i'm all in i love it <laughs> no that's super cool i think the way that i would what i can relate to and the way that i would put in my life what you're saying yeah is going from what can i get out of other people to what can i give other people Exactly. And what I've found is when you're open-handed and you think of other people first, it does come back to you. And mm -hmm. maybe not everybody, because you're not going to have the same response for but long-term, and we should always train ourselves to think long-term, both business and personal, is I'm going to have more when I give more. Exactly. Man, that is a perfect way to wrap up this episode uh, thank you so much, Joseph Alexander, for joining the DLC Drop podcast. I think we're all better for what you shared today. Yeah. And just looking forward to the next one, my brother. Thank you for having me. And I just want to say what you're doing is incredible. And I just see such a bright future for this and for what you guys are up to. So I appreciate kudos that. to you. I love the drive. I love the energy. And uh, keep moving forward, brother. Heck yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 